You're listening to a talk recorded live at Wildfires 2019. Find out more about Wildfires at wildfiresfestival.com or find us on social media. Good afternoon. Uh, thanks for being with us, whether you intended to have a quiet coffee and not be with us or not. Welcome anyway. Thanks for those who did intend to be here. Um, uh, I don't know uh, if there was actually a description anywhere to this sem seminar. So I feel like you are the brave few that came to a seminar entitled Boring God. Um, so we weren't trying to say that God was boring, um, but more a challenge of whether we are boring God. Um, so as Andy said, this is about uh, justice and worship and how that works together. So I'm Joe Herbert James. That's the first time I formally introduced myself as Herbert James. Thanks. I got married uh, five weeks ago. Um, so I'm on a double identity. So I'm doing a seminar tomorrow and it worked out as Herbert James, but today I was just Herbert apparently. But anyway, um, so this seminar came out, has kind of come from a conversation that I was working out. It's probably about 13 years old uh, between Andy and I. Um, really about this kind of interaction between worship and justice. So, uh, so back in 2005, 2006, that's a long time ago, I started at Tear Fund. Um, and just to give a little bit of background on me, um, I was about 17 years old when I became a Christian. And uh, I'd had a bit of a tricky um, teenage years, really. It was fairly off the rails, wasn't quite sure what life was about. And I um, had this profound encounter with Jesus when I was 17. And, uh, and it is that kind of uh, Damascus road. My life dramatically changed overnight. And I'm a bit of an all or nothing person. So I was in hook, line and sinker. If I'm going to do this thing of following God, I'm all in. And I found this incredible space in the context of worship. And I loved Worship. I love to worship. It was a place where I found so much intimacy with God um, and actually a lot of healing. So I'd had these really difficult years and I was very broken. And I used to come in the context particularly of sung worship and corporate worship. And I found that I would encounter God and have this intimacy with God that brought healing that took me deeper into who he was. Does anyone kind of relate to that sort of experience of worship yet? So I was like a massive fan um, of just this time of worshipping together. It felt like an indulgent time where we could just come and worship God. And uh, the brokenness of outside kind of got forgotten a little bit and a place to encounter him. And so uh, fast forward a couple of years, long story short, I started working for Tear Fund. Uh, this was never really my intention. Um, I didn't fully know what international development was. I uh, was very ignorant. I grew up in Somerset and I, you know, I just was quite sheltered. Um, and, but I knew that God had been stirring me about justice and about people living in poverty. Um, and I thought, you know, you know when God's really on your case about something? And uh, so I was like, all right, fine, fine. Let me go to Tear Fund for six months, this was 14 years ago, um, I'd learn about justice and then get this thing out of my system and get on with the rest of my life. Uh, that's what I thought um, 14 years later. Uh, turns out it's the rest of my life because <laughs> pursuing God is to pursue justice, I fully believe. 
Um, and so then I, I started to have this problem because I got to Tear Fund and although I knew about poverty, although I knew that there were issues of injustice roughly around the world, um, suddenly they were up front in my face day in, day out. Uh, day in, day out, I had to face the fact that the majority of the world live in, lives in poverty. And I would then go back to church at the weekend and we'd have these times of corporate worship and we'd sing our songs of a God who provides um, and a God who protects. And I, I started after some time to, to find difficulty in bringing these two worlds together. Um, and I'd go back to work and I'd have to face the fact that um, the majority of the world live in poverty. There was brokenness. There was war. Um, and I would want to come and worship this God, these intimate times of worship I've been having. And this was a really, tend to be a really difficult time that nearly broke my faith because I would go to church and hear these words and yet go to work and uh, have this experience. So I either felt like I needed to ignore what the church was saying and you know, face the facts in front of me or ignore that and believe what I was hearing in these songs and being taught. And um, I found my way uh, into a church in central London at the time. This is where Andy and I met. Um, and he was uh, the worship leader at the time, amongst many other things. And I found a space where uh, the, I guess, in that context, um, some of the words that we sung f seemed different. Um, not all of them. And I was on this journey of trying to work out how do I put these two parts of my face together? And that's really where our journey of this conversation started. How do I, so I'm someone who doesn't lead worship musically. Uh, I'm not gifted in that way, hence it was Andy up there and not me. Um, but how do I work out my own journey of worship uh, and what that means and what that looks like um, uh, not being able to kind of lead in, in that way, not being gifted in writing songs and rethinking those lyrics. And um, as my journey went on with Tear Fund, I began to find these stories that I was hearing of people around the world uh, began to inspire me in my worship. I remember um, it was around, I think it was 2007, um, there was, and there's been many, militia outbreak in um, uh, the Congo, but there was one particularly violent one. Uh, and we were having to move a lot of our staff. There was uh, hideous reports of violence. Um, and I remember having to lead our team press that week. And I was like, God, what do I, what do we, what do I pray? Like, what do we pray? Where are the words for this kind of... Um, you know, atrocities that are going on around the world. Where are you in this? How do I come to church and sing these lovely songs when there is horrific violence going on around the world? And we would hear stories of families who would literally have to run for their lives, leave everything, pick up their, like literally scooping up their kids and running. And in those contexts, we also heard the stories where they would still stop and pray and worship God. And I was, I found myself speechless. 
I found myself uh, stunned by these stories and so challenged. And I remember that week in my prayers, in team prayers, I was supposed to be leading. I was just on my knees and in tears saying, but this, it actually feels like these are the people who lead me in how to worship God. Because if I was in that situation and I was in that context, I don't know how quickly I would be stopping and worshiping God. I would be running for my life. And they, you know, they were. But there's still that acknowledgement of who God was. And I began to understand these are the people that lead me in understanding who God is, that he is greater than so much that goes on around the world. And then uh, in the context of this journey, I began to reread the Bible. And, um, uh, and I, I am going to read it to you, although I'm sure you're, you'll be very familiar uh, with um, chapters like Isaiah 58. Um, so in the context of all of this going on, I started reading this. So, uh, so Isaiah 58, so it says, Shout it aloud and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out and seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted? That's essentially like their worship, okay? So why have we worshipped or fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting or your worship, you do as you please. Exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast or worship, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your regard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. And that goes on. If you flip over to Isaiah 1, uh, those words get even stronger from God. The multitudes of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of the burnt offerings, the rams of, uh, and fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you, uh, when you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my corpse? Courts, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot 
bear your worthless assemblies. It's a really strong words from God talking about the worship that the Israelites were bringing before him. It turned out that God wasn't enjoying it that much. And as I began to read this, I began to wonder this worship that I felt like I had loved and enjoyed and felt like this intimate place with God. And I still believe that that is a part of us coming before God. I started to wonder, I don't know if God is really enjoying this as much as I am. <laughs> I don't know if he's actually a bit bored by it. And where is the place in that context of song worship for the stories that I was hearing of those in the Congo, of those around the world, of uh, a broken, messed up world that God loves and is longing to restore to himself? Where is the place for that in the context of worship? And so this is where these kind of conversations um, began. And over the years, um, and I'm, I'm kind of skipping on a little bit because we'll leave space for questions and things later. But we've kind of done some experimenting, Andy and I together, and I've done it in other contexts, of how do we bring justice into the context of uh, worship? And most recently, uh, we um, did the Justice Conference together. So that happened for the first time in the UK back in November. And um, Andy and others were leading worship, and we were trying to think about experimental ways of how to bring um, a reflection of all of God's creation into that context of worship. Um, and so one of the things that we did at the Justice Conference was made sure the platform of people speaking was balanced in terms of male, female, white, non-white, making sure we were reflecting all of who God is brought voices from around the world and other places. And we tried to bring that into the worship as well, having uh, far more creativity and spoken word and monologues brought in um, into that. So uh, we're going to talk more about those different ideas of things uh, you can do. But I'm going to hand over to Andy for now. Hello, hello, hello. Afternoon. How are you? Do you want to just shake yourselves? It's a very sort of... Uh... It's a very sort of slumbery tent to be sitting in, isn't it? So just slap the person beside you just to say, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Excellent. So I, I absolutely love the story of two men who are walking out of a church one Sunday morning. And as the two walked down the aisle and they went dropped down the steps and they got into the safety of the outside world, one of those men, and it was two men, one of those men turned to the other and said, you know what? I didn't get much out of the worship this morning. You know what? I didn't get much out of the worship this morning. And his friend thought for a minute and then turned back to him and said, you know, I wasn't aware it was for you. And, and that is a story that the first time I heard it made me laugh, but the first time I heard it, it also made me go, mm. and it feels like some of you were having that reaction at the same time. You know, you could be forgiven as an outsider looking at our world of worship in the modern church that worship is designed for us. You know, as we choose which leaders we like, as we choose which songs we like, as we choose which festival to go to, as we choose which church to attend on a Sunday morning, as we choose what songs to listen to in our own ears with our iPhones and our iPods, you could be forgiven for thinking that worship is designed to do us some good. 
And what I would call that actually is an incredible blessed side effect of the reality of when we draw near to God, he does draw near to us. And obviously we are blessed in the process. But it is a side effect because worship is designed to give our God the glory that he is due. Amen? That's what it is designed for. But inevitably in the process, as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And it is an incredible, beautiful thing that happens. But because we have been so consumerized by the consumerized society around us, we've started to see worship as a consumer choice. Yet another consumer choice that we make. Yeah, we like that and we don't like that and we like that and we don't like that. And that has serious implications for what we sing. Because there are people trying to sell us things to sing. And there are people trying to download to us things to sing. And they know that the unpopular stuff and stuff that has awkward words and stuff that has awkward vocabulary and stuff that make us fit, make, feel, feel a bit sad as well as a bit happy, we're not going to buy as much of that. And we're not going to use as much of that. And if you're here as a worship leader, you know you walk a fine line of wanting to actually keep everybody on board. And you know that you want to actually help people go on a journey, but often we can't resist getting people to that kind of worshipful climax of beautiful, intimate wonderfulness. Could we leave people in a place where they're angry? Could we leave people in a place where they're disappointed? Could we leave people in tears? Could we leave people in a place where they're driven to action because we just can't stand the state of the world as it is? Or do we have to bring people to a warm and fuzzy place all the time? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking down to warm and fuzzy. I do warm and fuzzy plenty. I'm a, I'm a white bloke with an acoustic guitar. Of course I do warm and fuzzy. But if that is the sum total of what we do, we are, we are boring God because there is so much more to him than this. My friend Sam Hargreaves did a thesis at London School of Theology, and he looked at the top 50 songs sung by Christians for the last 10 years. And he looked at all the imagery and the metaphors and the vocabulary and the language used and what themes were expressed. And do you know what he ended up calling his thesis? He ended up calling his thesis, Jesus is my girlfriend. Because overwhelmingly, over 80% of the images and the metaphors that were used in the words we sing to God were in and around romantic imagery. And that is not a wrong thing. That's a beautiful thing. We have intimacy. There is this sense of romance and wooing and besottedness and adoration that we do not want to run away from. But if everything we are singing is that, then we're only focused on certain aspects of God's character. The reality all through history is that we find that we believe what we sing. We believe what we sing. The words that we repeat and we sing to ourselves actually go far deeper into our consciousness and our spirit and our memory than most of the words that we speak. It's really important what we sing and what we repeat to one another and what we say together as a congregation. And there's a real danger of us only addressing certain aspects of God's character. And that means we only in our lives focus on those aspects of God's character. So yes, we will focus on his love and his desire to be intimate with us, but we'll spend less time focusing on the fact that he is a God of justice and righteousness. And we separate those two worlds. We come together and we sing for intimacy and then we go out and we do the action. And it actually is a secular sacred divide that is nowhere in scripture and wouldn't have been understood by the Hebrews. You know, the word that is translated righteousness in the Old Testament is sedek. It's a Hebrew word, sedek, T-S-E-D-E-Q. It's actually the same word that is translated justice. So when we say justice and righteousness, we've separated something. That's a Western way of explaining something that to the Hebrews was one thing, justice and righteousness. So when we sing about holiness, when we sing about personal spirituality, when we, we sing about God and our devotional lives, we are actually singing about justice. We are singing about justice because he is a God of justice and righteousness. He is Sedek, Jehovah Sedek. He is the God of rightness of all things that are right and true. 
And so we cannot divide this personal spirituality with our action and our desire to see a world transformed. We sing to God, not because these are the issues that the world's struggling with at the minute. We sing to God because he is a God of justice. That's why we sing about this stuff. I want to show you some words from Amos chapter 5, similar to the words that Joe just shared. They'll be very familiar to you. Amos 5 says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. I will not listen. Oh, keep going, sorry. <laughs> That's Amos chapter five. And this is a kind of my attempt at a modern paraphrase of that. And since we're at a Christian conference, a Christian festival, we might as well just go for it. Let's go for it. Thanks. Thanks, Izzy. I hate your big gigs. I cannot stand your worship events. Even though there are thousands of people and the PA could cause an earthquake, I will not accept them. Even though the band are fantastic and you have the best worship leader in the world, I have no regard for them. Do you think I care who sells most CDs? Do you think I care what the cool new song is? Away with this individualized feel-good soundtrack track of iPod worship. I'm listening online to another channel. It's called Justice and Righteousness, and it's arriving on a broadband connection that is wider than you could ever imagine. That's what I want to hear. I know when someone's playing my song. Are we boring God? Are we boring God? By only aspect, only, you know, if you have a friend who talks to you, but all they ever talk about is one particular aspect of what you do in your life, those relationships don't go too well. We get hacked off when somebody comes up to us and they're always wanting to hear about our job or they're always wanting to hear about your music or they're always wanting to hear about your neighbors. Or they always want to talk about this aspect of themselves. That's not a holistic relationship. That's not a full relationship. We worship a God who has so many aspects, like a beautiful diamond, all these different facets to his character. So I want you to stop and think for a moment. Are there, do I mostly just address one facet of his character? Do I mostly just come at him from one angle? Or am I actually speaking to all of God? And I, we operate in a context which leads us and draws us to mostly focusing on the stuff that's about us. Mostly songs that are about this is me, God. This is me, God. Help me out. Less about here we are and here you are, God. This is who you are and who am I in light of that. The context is really important. The consumerism is a real issue. I will never forget going to Chennai with our church a few years ago. We arrived to help this church work on various social action projects all around Chennai on the southeast coast of India. And we arrived, and the, and the church in Chennai, Powerhouse Church, they did this incredible welcome ceremony for the crowd of us that had come from Luton. They welcomed us. They, they were dancing. They were playing tablas and sitars, wearing saris, the men in their beautiful long shawls and shirts. It was an incredible cultural experience. It was beautiful. It was utterly beautiful to be welcomed by these folks, experiencing something of their joy and of their culture. The outfits were gorgeous. The music was incredible and intricate. I couldn't quite work out how, to, how it was even being made. It was so incredible, and I'd never heard some of it before. It was just beautiful. And then they turned to us and said, right, guys, now we want to worship with you. Now we want to worship with you. And all the colorful clothing got peeled off. 
the tablas and the sitars were all pushed away and a digital drum kit was dragged out from the side of the stage and a, an electric guitar. And for the next 20 minutes, lots of scratchy sort of American, British, middle of the road rock was played in our direction as we worshiped together. And I stood there thinking, God, what, what have we done? I asked the guys afterwards, I said, did, did you guys do that just because we were there? Did, did you do that just for us to make us feel at home? And, and they said, what? I said, did you play those songs because we were coming? They said, no, that's, that's how we worship. And I just thought, what, what have we done? What have we done? This is the new imperialism. This is the new colonialism. Because in the West, we can, pack, we can package worship songs better. We can make them sound nicer. We've got the muscle to market them and send them around the world. These guys are left thinking, this is how you do worship properly. You crank out sort of late 70s, early 80s, middle of the road, soft rock sung in English. And that's what people in Chennai are doing. And you're going, what have we done? Seriously, what have we done? It break, broke my heart to think of how we were trampling on the beautiful indigenous creativity of those people who should be writing stuff for their own context, who should be writing stuff that expresses the joys and struggles of where they're at in their present walk and in their present situation. As Joe mentioned, all those people who do incredible acts and beautiful acts of worship around the world based on the context they're coming from. It broke my heart to see that. Same thing happened when we went up to Grimsby to work with a, a young band Working with, when I was working for Youth for Christ, we used to go to different parts of the country and try to help out different youth bands who were running youth worship events to try and train them up and mentor them a little bit. And we've been told this was a wonderful event. We've been told this was an incredible experience that was going really well, so we should go and help. And we went to help these guys and we spent the afternoon with them, this, this young band. And I said, so do you guys get together and pray as a band? And they said, mm, no. I said, well, do you get together and write songs? They went, mm, no. Well, wait, I mean, would you get together and rehearse? And I'm like, mm, no. I'm thinking, Where, where's the juice flowing here? What's going on? What is happening? They said, oh, just wait, just wait, just wait. I'm like, what do you mean, just wait? I said, just wait, just wait. And at the end of the afternoon, at about half five, a van pulled up. And then out of this van came lots of bits of like silver trussing, like you see here behind the speakers. And these beautiful big, ah, exactly these Mac 500 lights that you can see in the back corner of the stage. And they came out of the van and they all got planted on the stage. And I was, guys, how, how many people are coming tonight? Because this, is, this is, looks like overkill. They said, oh, by 50. Oh, will you see, will you see, will you see? And then they put the screens up. And then as, as the event started, these, this video was played. And it was a video of a church that shall remain nameless. And a lot of my friends who I know in the worship band there, I can see them on the screen, on the stage. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. But on that screen and on that video, you can see the revolving lights. And you can see everybody standing in a line looking gorgeous. And these guys in Grimsby have picked up from that video that this is how you do worship. This is how you do it. You need the lights. You need the explosions. You need, the, you, you, need, you need to be standing there looking glorious. But we're not praying. and We're not writing songs together. We have to be aware that we sit in a market context where we've all become consumers. And we have to be responsible about what we produce. So it's a huge responsibility on me as somebody who writes songs to think, it's not just about what I produce, it's how it's being packaged and how it's being sold. Because you, you have to take responsibility, not just for what you write, but how it's distributed and what effect it might be having, because it might not be having the effect you want. I'm gonna throw it back to Joe now, because I've ranted for a while, but we were really keen to hear from you guys where you interface with this subject. We really wanna hear from you as to, are you involved in helping curate spaces for worship? Are you involved in trying to help people 
bring the whole of God and the whole of the world into that worship space rather than it being a separate sacred time making driving that sacred secular divide we would love to hear from you guys and here's joe um so i don't know how much that's feeling familiar to you and you're thinking huh that's probably i've done that in the past or that's happened in my context or whatever or that might not be your experience at all we're not here to make anybody feel bad or guilty about uh, that kind of thing but actually explore how do we go on a journey together better? How do we go on a journey with worship as a church that reflects what's going on within the congregation, what's going on outside in the community that we're a part of that's going on around the world? Um, and uh, I mean, and I can say this, uh, but I, for me, Andy's songs and the lyrics um, have helped me think far more deeply about my worship and about what I am singing. There have been times where the words in church, I've had to refrain from singing because I either have to acknowledge in my own heart, I can't sing that because I don't agree or I'm not quite there or I'm not sure actually theologically I agree with that anymore. And to be really thoughtful about the worship, like Andy said, what are we singing, what's going on? Now, I said I'm not someone who leads musical worship, um, but I'm often in a privileged position where I get to arrange um, meetings and events and things like that. And, um, and it's been a challenge. It's really easy. The, the easy option is to say, can someone just get up and lead sort of 30 minutes of music? And that's the worship within the session. Um, it takes far more creativity and hard work to think, okay, how do we bring together all the things that we're talking about, all the aspects of who God is that we want to reflect? Um, and I mentioned briefly earlier, you know, and, and we had the freedom, I guess, to experiment a bit more with this in the context of the Justice Conference. Um, and, and it was a bit of an experiment, and there's things we might do differently or better um, at the next one. But um, we found that people were saying the feedback was like, wow, this feels different because we are singing about the things that we're talking about. Now, obviously, at an event called the Justice Conference, you won't be surprised to hear that we were talking about lots of issues of um, injustice and who we're called to be as people seeking justice and the theology around that. And so we were... Uh, singing about the things that we were talking about. There was space for lament. Uh, when there's things in our own lives and in the world around us that feel unsolvable. Uh, and so, like I was mentioning, that uh, moment for me when I was leading our team prayers, and I just had nothing for the situation that was going on at the Congo at the time. And there are many other situations going on today and, and since. It feels unsolvable there are no words and so how do we create the space for that in our places of worship and whether it's in the moment of song worship or uh, in the time of prayer where is lament we see so much of the psalms don't we that is lament that is crying out to god and yet i would still go into church at the weekend and have what felt like these happy moments in worship 
and I go back to work all week and think, this doesn't feel that happy. This doesn't feel that great. And I'm not saying there isn't hope. I've been at TFM 14 years. I wouldn't still be there if I didn't think there was hope for change. Um, but how do we do this in those contexts? Um, I led uh, a lot of the venues for New Wines Youth for many years, and we started experimenting in that context. Um, and one of the things, we'll have some space to do that here, actually. Um, so we started to think about how do we, what is worship? If we're bringing more than just us singing to God, how do we bring more? Now, often uh, in church, we'll take the, our financial offering, don't we, in the context of worship? Um, and we say what we give to God is our worship. So we give financially. And so we started to think, how do we give more of ourselves in the context of some worship? What does that look like? One of the things, and there's campaign cards on your seat, but I'll talk about that in a minute. What we, we found with young people, they often felt they didn't have much money to give. And so we started to talk to them about their voice. When you speak up and use your voice to speak out against injustice, that is a part of your worship. That is a part of you honoring God and giving back to God and calling for his kingdom come. And so we started to sign these campaign cards in the context of worship and teaching the young people this is an act of worship. And so they would bring their money and their campaign card, their finances and their voice at the same time in the context of sung worship. And we're trying to teach them your worship is more than what we've narrowed it down to, which is singing and giving. Uh, and so we started to experiment with different things, prayers, praying for families, praying for their communities so that they could come forward in the context of worship, writing down the things that they'd done in their own communities. This is a part of our worship. If our whole lives are worship, how is the words of our songs only talking about this little narrow part of our lives? Um, and like I said, for me, I find it hard because I don't, I don't need musical worship. So it's been a challenge to think creatively and differently and outside of the box. And I'm still learning. This is still a conversation that goes on between us. Um, but there are creative ways to do that. And, um, and those, uh, the, the campaign cards that are on your um, seat uh, today, I'd invite you actually to do the same. So whether you uh, fill it in now, um, this is our campaign at the moment as Tear Fund. Uh, it's called the Rubbish Campaign. Um, and we're talking about the issue of plastics and how that is affecting people living in poverty. We're calling on companies to take responsibility for what they're doing. This is a part of our worship, calling uh, to, for justice, um, holding those account to account for those who oppress people living in poverty. That is an act of worship. It belongs in our sung worship. When those things don't enter into our times of corporate worship, as Annie was saying, we're missing off whole aspects of who God is. And these are just like little creative ways that we can begin um, to rethink how we do things. Uh, we said that we would leave um, time for Q&A and discussion. Um, I, like I said, I don't fully know what you were all expecting when you came. You're brave coming to a 
seminar with the title of Boring God. Um, and so uh, I want you to just maybe turn to the person next to you or around you um, or one or two people around and just say, it's, I mean, this might have been totally irrelevant and not what you're expecting at all. Um, or, but what has sort of stuck with you? Or is there a question from what you've been listening to um, that you either uh, have not thought about before or something that you have thought about before, perhaps? Introduce yourself and I'll give you about a minute or so, a couple minutes to talk. And then if you want uh, to share that with the group, we can take some questions. Okay. So I think, do we have a start? I think we've got a starting question. Someone. Yes? Are you brave enough? And then, and then we'll take some more as well. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Do you know what? There's something that you said which really struck a chord to me. Um, for years, I have worked with extremely vulnerable people and seen the poverty in both worlds, really. Um, I'm originally from Southern Africa, from Zimbabwe. And I have seen great poverty and, I mean, troubling stuff that... Mm -hmm. You, you know it shouldn't happen. And then I have seen a church standing more or less side by side with people who are meant to be helping these very deprived individuals through all this suffering. And then I stand in church and I worship. I've been a Christian all my life. And then I question myself and say, hang on. How do you, how do we share, how, how do we draw, or where do we draw the line between A, sharing just those ideas of in, in worship, which you have rightly pointed out, and completely usurping the, a, a cultural aspect sometimes in many, many of these very vulnerable people who might not necessarily understand the concept of worship as it is happening, say, over, over here. But at the same time, you then have the leadership of that church in those areas taking advantage of, say, the tides, which, again, both of you have really raised. So you have this disparity in wealth. You've got so many people who are so, who are so deprived, and a few who are benefiting from the very tides that these very poverty-stricken people are, are, are giving. And just lastly, please, if I grew, through, I, I grew up through a period in which HIV and AIDS was really causing havoc in Southern Africa. And you, you do get, I mean, we had the opportunity to actually address it, but for various other reasons, which I will not go through anyway, you find that quite a lot of churches went behind the idea of healing these people rather than literally confronting the, the issue. As, so all the aid that you and I here would be raising would not necessarily go through the challenging of, of aspects of, of things. Like, I mean, and you, you then see thousands of people dying because they are being told, I can heal you, 
when you know they ca they cannot be healed by this individual and because of it, thousands die. Now, where do I draw that line between really sharing a good concept in worship with that misunderstood, or not necessarily misunderstood, but a very com a completely different aspect of it from a completely different culture? Thank, thank you. What's your name, sir? Gilbert, Gilbert, thank you so much for that contribution. What an incredible thing you've been doing and continue to do. Um, thank you. And um, so I think what you've raised there could be a whole seminar stream in itself. Uh, I, <laughs> well beyond our pay grade to some extent. Um, but I think some, there's, there's some key things that, that help us walk that tension, walk that tightrope in what you're describing there. I think we've got to think seriously about in the words that we sing, in the words that we pray, in our liturgy, in our shared experience of worship, how we work hard to include people who will, number one, maybe not be able to read what, what, what's, what we're throwing on a screen. Number two, may not understand all the big words we're using. Number three, may not be happy on that given morning. And so are we leaving the space for people to express their doubt? Are we leaving the space for people to express their anger? Are we leaving the space for people to express their disappointment towards God? Are we actually being more biblical in the liturgy we create, in the way that David did in the Psalms. You know, David was not shy about really giving some serious words to God, not just saying, God, where are you? But like, where were you when I needed you most? It's angry, it's disappointed, it's angsty. And in my experience in working with folks who are coming from the sort of backgrounds and, and struggles that you're talking about, actually, worship is actually comes really, really natural. There's much more natural worship and connection with God and a frustration and a crying out than actually a lot of us who come from more privileged backgrounds actually experience. And actually sometimes there's a lot more joy as well. You know, you've got mostly a miserable Western church and mostly a very happy, uh, impoverished church. That's that's pretty much the, the, you know, the story around the world. So we've got to be careful before we generalize too much. But we've got to be really careful. You know, it's wonderful that people have started singing songs that start to relate to justice and the challenges in the world. But but even in the language of some of those songs, it's not inclusive. So we say like, we must go to help the broken. It presumes that we're not living amongst the broken. <laughs> we must go. We must go. We must go. You know, there's a presumption there that we're not living in a place of struggle. And actually, we need more songs that are rising up from the earth of people who actually are, who are of us who are walking alongside and encouraging the writing of people like you're meeting. I, so what, what I love doing in situations like that with young offenders or folks who are living in, in an estate or in a slum, it's been wonderful to be involved in experiences where we actually ask them to shout some stuff at God, to draw some stuff to God. What do you want to say to God? Tell him your anger because he's big enough to hear it. Tell them what you're thinking. And that's how it starts. That's how the liturgy emerges, by asking people and encouraging people to connect with God, not by saying, hey, cross this massive dividing line and then come in and start singing our shiny songs. It's like creating a space where these guys who are legitimately his children can actually express what they're feeling towards God. Now, some of them will have done that before in private. Some of them, it'll be a totally new thing, but it's, it's absolutely possible. I never forget in a young offenders institution in the Northeast of England, Castington, the start of the week going in and saying to these guys, right guys, we're going to write some raps this week. We had a music producer in with us. We're going to write some raps and you're going to be, you know, and you're going to, you're going to say some stuff. And they said, and you're basically going to write a Psalm. And they're like, oh, no, no. But it was incredible how over the course of a week, these guys just like melted and all this pain and all this anger and all this healing happened as people articulated this anger, this frustration, this hellishness of life in the direction of somebody who loved them. And there was not just, not just the healthiness of that articulation and that therapeutic aspect of letting that stuff out, but actually the beauty of this encounter and that relationship forming 
that, that can form, that can start because we honestly articulate our pain. And so that's, I mean, that does not even halfway go to answer your question, but that's, just, that's some of my experience of how we start to do that. Joe, you? Um, I'm aware we're running out of time, but just to quickly um, add, I mean, it's, they're really important questions that we can't really, there's not enough time to even explore, let alone answer. Um, the one thing I would say, we, we at Tearfund send um, hundreds of young people often um, overseas each year, and they go and experience um, contexts that are so different, poverty that they haven't experienced before. And often what you'll hear from them is, but how can people so, who have so much live alongside people who have so little? And it feels like they walk past it through their gated homes, you know, past the poverty. And, uh, and our reflection to them is, yes, you see it very starkly there. But we are doing the same thing here. We are in our comfortable churches singing our comfortable songs. And some of us step past it outside of our church, depending on where you go to church. But just because we don't physically step past it in the same way, we often uh, ignore it in the same way. And I think uh, it's just a reminder that we've got to sit with the uncomfortableness of that. That doesn't mean that we can solve every aspect of injustice and poverty, but how do I live with the discomfort of those kinds of questions? And there's got to be a place for what you're raising. Where is the place for discussion? Where is the place for lament? Where is the place for repentance? Um, you know, and I, my experience of uh, sitting in places where there's conversation about um, uh, one place, particularly a year and a half ago, we were discussing the issue of race. Um, and for me, as a white person, I felt confronted about the issue of white privilege in a way that I never had before. Um, and, I mean, it was a phenomenal context to be in. Um, the, the, the bit I struggled with is we kind of quickly moved on to another topic. And I was left reeling and thinking, oh, my word. I, you know, it's not that I can take on the whole issue and put it on myself, but I need to repent. I've been confronted with something here, rightly so, that I want to be able to repent of and to engage with. But in, again, in the context of church, um, it's rare that someone's brave enough to stand up and create that space and offer that space. And that didn't solve the issue of race in that moment. You know, it doesn't solve the issue for me of my dealing with my own blind spots and prejudice. Um, but I needed something that would help me on that journey because I can't solve it all in that moment. But I think we need to be brave in acknowledging where we've got it wrong, um, you know, in the context of everyone and in the context of ourselves as well. I'm really aware of time. Hang on a minute. I'm just um, yeah, uh, we've got Mm, a couple more minutes. Um, if you need to rush off, please do. Um, we can carry on a little bit longer for anyone who would like to. I know we've got a question here, question at the front. Anyone else got a uh, question? Okay, another one there. Okay, okay yeah. four more if questions. We go, Should we, if it's possible to do reasonably short ones, and again for you guys, yeah, see how we'll we go. Be succinct in answers. Okay, very short question. Where do we get your music? Where do we get this, the music, the, the words? Because if you want to get it out there, 
Um, for for me personally, my stuff's on on the website andyflan.com. That's where that's where my so stuff that is. Song's just had a a n d y f l a n dot com, which Andy Flan sounds sad, but nobody can spell Flanagan right, and that's important in the world of websites. Uh, so andyflan.com. Um, uh, you you can grab it there for free. It's all there if you want to grab it. Um, I I I'd, I'd encourage people to just just get creative and write writing writing your own stuff as well. But if yeah, and there's also the guys from Resound Worship and Engage Worship, two other great sites that have got an incredible amount of creative resources that, that will really broaden broaden one's vocabulary. Um, so Engage Worship, Resound Worship, andyflan.com. And I'm sure other people could probably volunteer some other stuff as well. The Proust uh, uh, Worship guys are very helpful as well. Real thing. Yeah, I was just wondering what lament actually sounds like. I mean, I, I can imagine someone playing bagpipes or something like that. But, but you know, what, what, what does it actually sound like? Um, I mean, we, there, there are many different ways of... I, I've been a privilege in the last few years to, to do a tour with a guy called Patrick Regan. Uh, the tour's been called When Faith Gets Shaken and him sharing his story of, of, of a fairly shocking last few years of his life and lots of illness, lots of challenges with family and... And that has smoked out an awful lot of people who have brought a lot of their pain uh, to those evenings. And it's been a privilege to lead those people in worship. But a lot of what we've done is, is lament. Sometimes we're just singing the words of, of like um, Psalm 13. How long, how long for your mercy and your kingdom to come? There's a lamenting there. There's a kind of when there's sorrow in my heart, where do I go? Um, there's a song we probably won't have time with for today. You know, forgive us, Lord, for what we've done and left undone. Hear our song rising to you. All this wrong ignites our shame. No more building earthly kingdoms. No injustice in your name. And, you know, there is, there, it, it just takes us to say it. We just need to write it. We just need to say it. There's no, there's no kind of magic door you go through into lament. It's just being really honest with our pain. It's honestly bringing our pain. And I, if you spend even just a few hours in the Psalms, You'll get your head into the way of lament, no problem. Sometimes it's just about letting our sound out. And when corporately we don't actually have space for letting the spirit move and it's just letting our sound out and singing in the spirit and just do you think we need to have that a lot more at corporate gatherings? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there are times when a time of lament has just started from people crying. Just the crying and a gut wrenching at the at the justice conference. Uh, we we did a song that just led to some people who were leading stuff to then just like going, ah, there was just a groaning and a crying, and that then led everybody else into a time of lament and led everybody else into a time of praying and intercessing for some of the pain that had come up and that just that feeling that in our bones and our bodies. Yes, it's not. It's a really good point. It's not all about words. We need to leave that space. And the thing I'd say with that, I think again, it takes the courage to hold the moment. And so, again, as someone, you know, and again, we've worked alongside each other a lot and that we trust each other a lot. And so uh, there are times where it might be Andy starts doing something. I'm like, that's not in the script. Like that wasn't planned. But I'm going to trust him enough to go with it and be brave enough to rethink what comes next. And so that's the part that I can play in not being the person that's leading it. But that might be, you know, different experience. But I think talking about that beforehand um, and encouraging, you know, and if there's others, whether you're leading sessions or there's others that leading your sessions, you <laughs> encourage them to go to places that are good at that um, and see how it's done and the bravery that it takes. And there was this one of the sessions at the Justice Conference that totally got blown out of the water. And I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> we'll just go with this. And, you know, and that was partly Pete Gregg and partly Andy 
Um, but actually, when you've when you've got this, you've had those sorts of conversations before with high trust. But encourage people to go to places where that happens a lot, so they learn that it's safe and that it's okay. And we didn't get through everything we were planned to get through, but it's just it's okay because something bigger happened in the moment, and that encourage them to go and see it happen. I think. Was there one more question somewhere? Oh, not a question, but okay, go for it. Uh, thank you very much. Um, it was just something popped into my head while, while you were talking, and, and that was um, a comment I heard in a sermon quite a few years ago now by an Anglican bishop, um, which really struck me. Um, and that was, um, don't give from a position of superiority. Um, which I found really helpful because, um, for example, I mean, I'm a recovering alcoholic. The only place I've ever felt judged is in a church. Um, and, and, I, and I feel, for me, there are a number of failings. And we, I was talking about this earlier. I think single people are neglected in the church. Um, but also, you can... You can end up thinking everybody in church is happy, they're all joyous, they're all sailing through life, they never have any anxiety, uh, <laughs> they never worry, they never get angry, um, which makes it very difficult to be honest. Uh, and I think it also makes it difficult for people from outside. There's a, there's a book, and I can't remember if it's What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey, I can't remember now, but it starts with a prostitute. He talks about a prostitute who's not only a prostitute, but she prostitutes her daughter out. And when someone says to her, why don't you go to church? She says, why would I want to go there? They'll only make me feel worse. Um, and so I just feel that uh, we shouldn't, you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm saying really, but just we shouldn't do good. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we've got to be real with each other. And we had a situation at a church I was a member of a few years ago where a youth worker committed suicide. And you just think, this is just, you know, anyway, I'm sorry. No, thank you for sharing. Um, your voice is really important, and it's really important for us to hear. And as I said, my journey with my wrestle with theology and, you know, being in the context of the real world and being in the context of the church, it was those living in poverty that led me out of those dilemmas and those issues. It was those who um, have experienced God in the context of brokenness. And although I'd had brokenness in my own life, other contexts of brokenness that led me out of it and taught me and so voices from people like yourself are really important because you will lead others in a way that I can't and many of the people that stand up front can't and don't and so and that is the challenge for all of us is how do we get brave enough to allow the space for that and I guess that's you know we're here to say that's that's the invitation we don't have all the answers, um, and it's a challenge, and it requires us to think deeply and be brave, and things will go wrong at times. But um, I hope, you know, if anything you hear here, uh, your voice is really important. And so thank you for sharing that, and, uh, and continue to lead us. Um, you know, it's your words, your, your words of lament, your words of hope, um, that should be getting turned into songs uh, that will bring hope to a broken world. And so whether you're musical or not, 
um, you know, there is a place for that leadership and those words. So don't ever think they're not needed or wanted, um, even if that, you know, comes across at times. Are you going to finish? And you want to tell them about the... You want to tell them about the response as well? Okay, yeah. So we're going to finish in one song. You might need to head off, and that is fine. Um, If you... And again, it's an invitation. Um, We just wanted to give an example of doing something different. If you want to, in in this context of worship, song worship, um, fill in this card. This is one way where we add our voice as an act of worship. Um, then and literally just to come forwards and put them uh, on here, or maybe I'll pull a chair and put it on here, um, because it's a physical act as much as anything else where we move ourselves out from where we're comfortable. And we talk about that a lot, don't we, in the context of giving, but we add our voice and we say, God, your kingdom come for others around the world that I might never meet. But this is an act of me joining in with what you are doing, God, me as an act of worship, giving over. And I don't want, and don't anyone feel forced to do it if you don't want it. Read it through and check what you're signing first. This isn't some backwards way to get you to sign our campaign. Um, genuinely, for me, this has become acts of worship. Um, and my water bottle that I carry around with me all of the time, for me, this is a symbol of my worship. Because when I use it and I don't use plastic, where I use my coffee cup over and over, For me, the symbols of me saying, God, with every part of my life, I will worship you. That doesn't just happen on the sung parts of worship, uh, but every part of my life, I will worship you. So it's an invitation. There's no pressure. But if you want to do that, please do.